Chapter 46, A Dangerous Bargain. It was the longest walk of my life. Imagine getting called to come up to the front of the class to solve a problem, but the whiteboard is a mile away. Or going up to the auditorium stage at an all-school assembly to give a speech, and if you mess up, they might drag you out of there never to be seen again. Or your mom comes to pick you up early and catches you clowning in the back of the classroom, and now you got to walk by all of your friends as she watches you with that, oh, really, look. Yeah. Matter of fact, imagine all three of those things happening at the same time. Throw in a little terror, a little nausea, and a little holy moly, how am I going to survive this? And you're halfway there. I didn't look left or right, not even when I passed the Moatia Grove. Not even when I passed John Henry straining against the grasp of several bosslings. Not even when I passed a quietly sobbing Miss Sarah, the limp and motionless body of Miss Rose lying in her arms. Nope, I didn't meet anyone's eyes as I placed one foot ahead of the other, following the curving street until the dented gold marina spire rose out of the bay in front of me. And in front of it, Nyami. Hundreds of destroyed fetterlings lay in mounds around him, like a fort made of defeated enemies, and yet several hundred more live ones circled him. As I approached, their heads snapped around like I was a magnet, and the god in the middle raised his head and glared at me. His eyes burned like a thousand red-hot coals, and if looks could kill... What am I saying? His looks probably could kill. For all I knew, he was shaving off my retirement years. You don't know what you're doing, he snarled. It's this, I shot back, or everyone gets dragged into that death ship over there. I'm doing the only thing I can. He shook his head. You are dooming us all, and he turned his back on me. I clenched my fists, but the iron monsters around me began to get closer and closer. Yet they weren't attacking. It was like they were urging me on. I gave Nayami my own glare, then, with a dozen fetterlings following, moved down to the shore, where a collection of rotted planks tied together with swollen seaweed-covered ropes awaited. My rusty honor guard herded me to the makeshift raft. I turned around, saying, No way, then took a half-step back when twelve fetterlings started clanking together like metal rattlesnakes. Fine, fine, I'm going. I stepped onto the raft, and a wave of sadness pulled a lump into my throat. Ayana's raft was somewhere back in the ridge, lost forever, probably. I shook my head and took a deep breath. Forward, I thought. Have to move forward. I didn't have a stick or an oar to propel the raft, but the rotted thing jerked into motion by itself, floating slowly at first, then picking up speed. Debris knocked against the sides, and more than one burst of flame erupted out of the water, making me jump each time. Steam hovered over the boiling sea, and a low roar lurked in the background. The tear in the sky, directly above and stretching off into the horizon, smothered everything in a thick heat that made breathing a struggle. The moth lurked just offshore squat and ugly in the shallows like a diseased leviathan that had washed into the bay. It smelled like it looked, and looked like it smelled. 
filthy, covered in crusty barnacles, with the rotten remains of fish caught between the splintered boards of its hull, and emitting fumes, the kind that linger in the back of your throat after you leave the gas station. My eyes and my stomach both wanted to vomit. The raft followed its invisible leash farther and farther away from the shore, away from safety, wherever that was. I drifted closer and closer until the mafa loomed over me, and still I floated on. I gagged when I smelled the greenish-black crust that lined the hull, with its odor of old vegetables and the special Alabama grease Nana always smothered on my cuts. Fetterlings, trapped against the side, wriggled weakly in the water. I finally reached a jagged split in the hull and, as the raft drifted inside it, fetid water dripped down my neck. A familiar setting materialized out of the darkness. Two torches, three steps, a long passageway shrouded in darkness. The raft came to a stop, and I gripped the straps of the story box. Story bag? Story backpack? I hadn't figured that out yet. And stepped onto the stairs. The soggy wooden planks of the deck squelched and sagged under my feet. My breathing echoed in my ears. I inhaled, trying not to smell the putrid air, and then let it out. And that's when the ship spoke. Thought I told you stories are powerful magic. I froze. The voice came from the darkness. But it wasn't Uncle C's, like in my nightmares. Well, my boy, fine mess you got yourself in. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I knew that voice. But the last time I'd heard it, the owner was telling me, Did you at least give me a good ending? Br'er Fox? Is that you? A wheezy, coughing laugh echoed around me. So it seems. I guess these old whiskers got one last job to do. I took a step forward, then another. The darkness didn't fade away as much as part around me. The passageway grew narrower and narrower, and when I turned around, I could just make out the torches near the hole I'd entered. I'm here to speak to the Mafa. The bulkheads groaned and the deck shifted. Boards twisted and realigned, and I threw my hands out to keep my balance, nearly falling when the planks caved in at my touch. I felt something soft and hairy and warm. I made sure my legs were steady, then glanced over. My hand had pushed through the soggy wood, and underneath, sweet peaches. A face. No, dozens of faces. Some I recognized. Terry Pin, Sis Crow, and others I didn't. These were the victims, the ones the iron monsters had snatched. They'd all been stuffed into the bulkheads and decks of the Mafa. I jumped back in horror, and their eyes followed me. They were alive, but just barely. Not pretty, is it? Br'er Fox said in a strained tone. I pulled my eyes away from the barely breathing folk. I came to bargain. Can you tell it that? I came to bargain, I shouted. You sure you know what you're doing? I do. Now can you tell it that? It already knows. It. Br'er Fox's voice cut off and I stood in dark silence for several seconds. B.F. Br'er Fox! Still here, just translating. 
He sounded like he was in pain, and I squeezed the story box's straps. He'd gotten trapped because of me, and now he and the others were suffering. Just when I got worried and started to shout again, the soggy planks in the deck above my head peeled back like a banana, and Br'er Fox dropped down. His limbs were tangled in chains, and a strange orange glow filled his eyes. "'What is the bargain?' he said, and I flinched. That wasn't Br'er Fox's voice. It was deeper, darker, like creaking timber and crashing waves. It was freedom denied. It was silent pain. It was the Mafa. You think you have something we want? The old evil asked through Fox. You? It was weird and scary, seeing Br'er Fox's mouth move, but hearing the haunting voice of the ship. But I had to push past the fear. Everything depended on this moment. Everyone depended on me. I forced myself to start talking again. You're carrying something inside of you, I said. We carry a lot of things. The chains holding Br'er Fox forced his legs to walk around me like a grotesque puppet. The living, the dying, the fear that unites them both. It is what we do. Yeah, but you also carry a haint, and it's using you. It's using you to get to me and everybody else on Elki, so it can become more powerful than even you. Impossible! The Mafa forced Br'er Fox to snarl in my face, and I threw my arms out for balance as the ship heaved up and down in the water. It's true, I yelled. The chains holding Br'er Fox grew taut, and then he was hauled up into the upper deck. Before I could react, the planks in the bulkhead to my right split apart, and Terry Pin, his shell bundled in chains, was marched out. His eyes were glowing orange, too, and he spoke in the same ancient voice of the Mafa. So, we have a spirit aboard. What does... It's poisoning you. I took a big risk by interrupting, but time was running out. There was no telling what was happening outside. And it's taking the stories your monsters hunt down and hoarding them, getting stronger. Soon it will take over and make you a victim. The possessed Terrypin shook his wrinkled head. Your story does not impress us. Even if such a stowaway existed, it could never surpass our might. We will. It does, and it can, with this. I shrugged off the backpack and it transformed into the golden story box. I held it out. There was a momentary pause, and then Terrypin was yanked back into the bulkhead. A short distance down the passageway, the deck opened like a trapdoor, and a teenage girl stepped out, walking lightly despite the manacles on her ankles. Netta? I whispered. No. But the girl I'd met back in mid-pass didn't raise her blazing eyes. Instead, they stayed pinned to the story box. You carry the words of the gods, the Mafa said. You are Anansasem. For the first time, I heard a note of concern in the voice. Yes, I said. And like I said, I've come to make a bargain. I could feel the Mafa's consideration in the silence that followed. When it next spoke, the ship was almost thoughtful. Why shouldn't we just take the cursed sky god's treasure and rule the lands as we like? This I was prepared for. Because you wouldn't rule it for long. 
the haint infesting you would grow too powerful for even you to contend with, and he'd destroy you. But there's another way. I hesitated, then inhaled and let out a deep breath. I will tell your story. The entire ship stilled, the creaking, the rustling, the clinking chains. It all fell silent as the mafa registered my words. Then, you would tell our story? I nodded. It was a gamble, and a lot of people in Alki wouldn't like it, but it had to be done. People don't speak of the Mafa anymore. They hush any mention of you. Children don't know your name. Soon you'll be erased from the histories of Alki entirely. I put the box down on the floor. The images on its sides, including the one of Anansi and Ayami confronting the Mafa, were barely visible. As Netta's eyes stayed on the story box, I closed my eyes and concentrated on the Mafa's tail. The Mafa's in pain, John Henry had said. It came here with the first of us, the sadness to our joy. Drums pounded in my ears and my fingertips tingled. I opened my eyes in time to see the story box glowing and projecting images on the bulkhead. An inky black leviathan leaped forward along the planks, only to be met by a group of familiar beings, a giant man with a shining hammer, two soaring shadows with blazing wings, a man with golden eyes, and a spider clinging to a line of sparkling silk. They all clashed with the formless beast, eventually casting it back into the darkness below. The story box flared white-hot in the dark before it faded to a dull glow, and a sigh seemed to settle throughout the hull of the ancient ship. After a several seconds, Netta lifted her glowing eyes to me. You would tell this story? I raised my chin. I would tell the tale of how all the gods of Midpass and Alki united to defeat a powerful foe. Yes, I would tell that story. The open secret of the Mafa had been bothering me throughout my time here, and it had taken something High John said to me to make me understand. You shouldn't try to hide from your pain. You shouldn't run from it, cover it up, pretend it never happened. That's what John Henry and Nayami and all the other gods had tried to do with the Mafa. That's what I'd tried to do with Eddie. Uncle C thought he'd hurt me by taking all my good memories of my best friend, but he'd only help me face my feelings. As an Ansesem, it was my job to carry the stories of the land to its people. All the stories. If we ignored the past, how would we learn from it? I waited for the Mafa's decision. The story box's light dimmed, and the passageway seemed to widen a bit. The trapdoor in the deck disappeared, and the bulkhead planks straightened. Netta, still possessed by the Mafa, raised both arms. We returned to our rest... And you will tell our tale? And, I added, I'll even get rid of that haint for you, a two-for-one, because I'm that kind of guy. Netta nodded, and she stepped to the side. Two planks in the bulkhead shifted apart like they were made of rubber, and the girl disappeared into the darkness. Something rustled in the upper deck, and Br'er Fox's voice sounded above me. I don't know how or why or what you said, but it agreed. You have to be careful, though, my boy. Provided you hold up your end of the bargain, as soon as you rid the ship of the haint, the Mafa will return to the bottom of the sea. 
and if it just so happens you can't escape in time, both you and the story box will ride down to the deep along with it. His voice broke off, and I nodded grimly. I understand. I know you do, my boy. I know you do. Forgive an old fox's worry. Take heart. You can do this. His voice began to fade, and I stopped myself from dashing to the wall to beg him to stay and help me. A last chuckle floated in the air. Seems like hope lives after all. Wait, I shouted. Are you, all of you, coming back? Silence. Then, I reckon some will. But I like how my story ended, my boy. And I'm tired. So, so tired. Figure I might just rest for a bit. Fox, I called. Fox! And then there was nothing but me in the empty passageway. A nondescript door waiting at the end. Something rolled down my cheek, but I didn't bother with it. Whether it was the sea's salt water or my own, it wouldn't help with what came next. I hefted the story box back onto my shoulders and started walking before fear talked me out of it. I had made a bargain with the Maffa. Now it was time to deal with Uncle C.